0: Welcome to the Dr. Patient Forum, a no-holds-barred patient advocacy podcast discussing why millions of pain patients continue to suffer, but most importantly, who caused the suffering. Join us weekly as we discuss how you can help end the untreated pain crisis.
1: Before we get into this episode... We are just going to give a quick shout out to the new patrons who have subscribed since our last podcast was published. We at the Dr. Patient Forum launched a Patreon page in May of 2023 to raise some funds to hopefully effect change this year by retaining a lobbyist, please head on over to our Patreon page if you're interested in checking it out. Patreon.com slash the doctorpatient Forum. We have three tiers, the $5, $15, and $30. We also have a free section where you do also get a lot of extra content. So please consider going over there. And thank you to everyone who has supported us in 2023. So a huge thank you to Tara, Michelle, Kim, Carolyn, Laura, Liz, Vegas, Grandma, Richard, Purple Jilly, Cindy, Rose, Jennifer, Madre, Roseanne, Stephanie, Heather, Tammy, Rachel, Peggy, Carrick, Mary, Mother Mayhem, Ken, Marie, Dennis, Holly, Juliana, Laura, Maggie, Sarah, CJ, Gwen, and S Magnets. Thank you all so much for for supporting our page, and we hope you're enjoying it. We decided to split up this podcast with Dr. Henson into two parts because it ended up being long. So this is part one, and part two will be out within the next few weeks. We're
0: gonna do something we've never done with a doctor before, so if you're watching this podcast, bear with me because this is something I've wanted to do for years. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Steve Henson.
2: Well, thank you very much, Claudia and Bev.
0: Now I'm going to read to you. We're going to start from the very beginning for the new doctors who follow us. It's titled, Wichita doctor sentenced to life for diverting prescription drugs to the streets. Super sensational headline. And it says, Wichita physician Steve Henson was sentenced today to life in federal prison for unlawfully distributing prescription drugs, said U.S. attorney Steve McAllister. I want this case to send a message to physicians and the healthcare community, McAllister said. Unlawfully distributing opioids and other controlled substances is a federal crime that could end a medical career and send an offender to prison. McAllister continued, we are dealing with an epidemic, blah, 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 blah. Henson, 57, operated in Kansas Men's Clinic at 3636 North Ridge. Now, as soon as I hear Men's Clinic, they almost make it sound shady. It says... You're convicted on the following counts: conspiracy to distribute prescription drugs outside the course of medical pra- practice. That's what all doctors are prosecuted for, although really nobody knows what outside the course of medical practice means. Then it says unlawfully distru- distributing oxycodone. So now it sounds like you're just passing out oxy to the, you know, to the people on the streets. Unlawfully distributing oxycodone, methadone, and alprazolam, which is a benzo. Unlawfully distributing methadone and alprazolam, the use of which resulted in the death of a victim on July 24th, 2015. Obstruction of justice and money laundering. My goodness, when you read that press release, you would think you are Satan. You are the devil.
2: Now, Absolutely.
0: Let's talk about what's truthful. Let's start from, so we can break it down because I've really never had the opportunity to do this. What did you do? that was so wrong, that landed you in prison for two years?
2: Well, I was a career emergency room physician, so I was well-versed in taking care of all aspects of pain.
0: So if somebody has, so I've got Crohn's disease. If I have a bowel obstruction, I could have gone into the hospital where you were working as an ER doctor.
2: That's correct. Okay. Did you work full-time
0: as an ER doctor?
2: I was working full-time as an ER doctor, 30-year career, physician of the year twice, in Kansas, and I had a pre-hospital system where we transported critical care patients—pediatric critical care, trauma, cardiovascular, and neurosurgical critical care—to tertiary hospitals.
0: What is pre-hospital system? What does that explain that to me?
2: Uh, in rural areas, we we placed helicopters and airplanes, such that if a patient showed up at a local ER in a small area with a heart attack or a twin pregnancy or a stroke that couldn't be handled in the rural area, if we were close enough, we would fly on a helicopter that flies straight to the roof of the hospital, a airport to land on, a runway. You can't land on the highways. Okay.
0: So you're working as an emergency room doctor. Did this nightmare for you start as an emergency room doctor, or were you working also
2: in a pain clinic? This nightmare did not start until I started working in a pain clinic. I was in the ER... And up until that point, every time a patient, typically a controlled substance, but they could be diverting antibiotics or any other medication, then the pharmacy or the DEA would come notify the healthcare prescriber. They would come straight to me in the hospital. So then I noticed that my patients coming to the emergency room were oftentimes. Returning to the emergency department because we would always tell them follow up with your primary care physician, but most primary care physicians aren't well in tuned to taking care of a patient with pain. They are, are typically in a rut that allows them to prescribe what then was Darvacet, which is no longer around, but Tylenol 3 and Lortap. So they didn't know the other medications or necessarily the limits of acetaminophen toxicity if you went up to, say, eight or ten tablets of Tylenol with codeine or Vicodin. So I started a pain clinic just on Thursdays, which allowed me to take on a few of my patients that knew me well. I did no advertising. They came to see me, and I would take care of their critical care and chronic pain needs. Now, I had the SAMHSA endorsement and had gone through all the training for methadone and Suboxone you know, with the X designation on my DEA, but I had three public companies. So I only had my pain clinic on Thursdays mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. where
2: I, because I have to see my patients once a month. So I could see 30 patients on one Thursday, 30 patients on the next Thursday, the next Thursday and the next Thursday. And I'd have all my patients taken care of.
0: Okay. What was the name of that pain clinic?
2: Well, I just had Stephen Henson, MD, on my east side. Wichita is about 500,000 people. And then I had a men's clinic on the west side of town, which is just about 20 miles from my principal pain clinic. I could see patients on the east or west side, depending on how convenient it was for them. On the west side, the men's clinic was specifically a clinic used for testosterone replacement and erectile dysfunction. I didn't own that. I just was the physician there. And I had a nurse practitioner that worked with me.
0: Okay. So you owned, you had your pain clinic on Thursdays. You would see 30 patients and you would see, you make sure those patients were compliant. So you would see them once a month. And that was on Thursday. Then you had a men's clinic focusing on all that stuff. (laughs) Right. And then you worked full-time in the emergency room.
2: Well, I cut back in the emergency department at that point because I still had my public companies so I was traveling a bit.
0: Okay. But I tell was me, always
2: back Tell, for tell me about
0: your those public companies because I'm sure that was entice- that was enticing to the feds that here's this pain Absolutely doctor and he's got three public companies and they see mucho dinero. That's what the feds see. We're not going to talk about your public companies, but you were doing pretty well, safe to say, right?
2: I was doing very well, and mm-hmm. my wife and I had supported our church substantially, and so I was taking care of my 125 pain patients.
0: Yeah. And you were paying it Ver- forward. You were giving back to the community. That's right. Tell
2: me when the nightmare- I was well-known year- on TV and radio.
0: <laughs> right. Oh, my goodness.
1: What year was this that you're talking about?
2: This was in 2015.
1: Okay. Thank you. Oh, jeez.
2: I mean, okay. I had the, my pain clinic for 14 months.
1: Oh, wow. All That's right. That's it, So huh? okay.
0: it's right after these strike forces, right? Probably, I don't know if, uh, which one is in his area, Bev?
1: ARPO? The strike forces, ARPO started in 2018 and then they expanded. So it wasn't from ARPO, but they okay. were still cracking down. I mean, with, with Ron Azizi and and OIG and DEA, they were still cracking down using data analytics, even before ARPO. Right. How did your nightmare begin?
2: My nightmare began when I came back, everything was going smoothly. I came back from running a board meeting in Dallas, Texas and flew home on a Thursday. And my wife was not feeling well. So they were doing construction on our local airport. So I took a taxi cab home into my gated community. And as soon as i the taxi cab drove in my driveway, 17 cars pulled in behind me and around me and surrounded my house with long guns and SWAT type team.
1: So you didn't know you were being investigated at all? Was that the first time you were made aware?
2: That was the first time I was made aware.
1: Oh my gosh.
2: And what had happened is the previous week, that this was on a Friday when I came back from the board meeting, but the previous week on a Saturday morning, and I would- Uh, not be working on Saturday, but a patient of mine called me at seven o'clock in the morning and said, Dr. Henson, this is, and he told me his name and he said, Nick is gone. And I said, I didn't know first that he knew another patient. So I said, Nick, who? And he said, told me who? and And I said, did he move To Colorado because he had talked about maybe moving out there because and starting a marijuana type business. So I didn't know. And he said, No, he's dead. And I said, Dead? How did this occur? And he said, Well, his wife called me yesterday and told me that he had been caught diverting 22 tablets on that Friday of his prescription opioid. And the DEA had told him that they were going to put him in prison for 40 years three strikes, you're out. Bill Clinton's law. Oh my gosh. And the patient who would have been my favorite patient, because we brought him back from a rather severe car accident, broke his pelvis and his back, brought him back to the point that he could function and take care of his wife and children and go back to work. He got caught diverting for the third time. I did not know he had diverted the first time or the second time. They never notified.
0: Is this Nick or another patient? This is Nick. So Nick is a patient of yours. Yes, ma'am. And when we spoke, you told me that you didn't drug, you didn't do the, the drug testing because you said that would be foolish. Why didn't you do the drug testing, like the urine screens?
2: Well, I had a drug screening company that I own. So I could have required all my patients to be drug screened. Mm-hmm. My thought was the cost for me doing a drug screen would have added another $100 to their monthly charge. And I said, that really wouldn't be fair to A patient who is on an opioid to show up positive for an opioid. What does that tell me? So, the only things I could possibly glean from a drugs test would be marijuana and mercaptopurine, the presence of a heroin metabolite. Well, diacetylmorphine is just two morphine molecules attached by an acetyl group, which we call heroin. So, heroin has a bad rap in that it is considered to be a drug of abusers.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: down and out in cities, skid row type, what you've heard. But heroin is one of the derived from poppy seeds.
0: Right. It's a great, it's, it's a great medication and heroin. It's a
2: terrific, it's a very clean medication. Right. And we've been sold a bill of goods in that the DEA and the DOJ has said that heroin, you know, leads to all these, scourges in society, hepatitis C, HIV. Well, that's not the heroin. That's not knowing a dose and it's using corrupted needles.
0: Let's stay focused because I have a plan. Okay. So you made the the decision to not drug test. Yes. You didn't do pill counts. No. All right. So you, you treated your patients humanely and you were duped, right? Nick duped you. Nick gets caught. Now, where was he caught? diverting the meds. Because if I know the DEA agents, they, they go fishing, right? And they're always looking for a patient that has a, a criminal background because it's just easier to, to target the doctor. What was Nick being treated for?
2: Nick was being treated for chronic uh, intractable back pain postoperatively. Okay.
0: What were you prescribing to him?
2: Methadone. He was on 80 milligrams, eight, 10 milligram tablets a day. Okay. And he was also on oxycodone for short-term pain relief. Okay. He could supplement.
0: And, and if you're listening to this, methadone is also a very effective drug for pain, but it has this horrible stigma attached to it. So Nick gets right. caught. Nick diverted one time, two time, and then the third time. And That's correct. how did they catch him?
2: Well... They must have been following him because they caught him and one of his colleagues in the parking lot of the machine shop that they were working at. So they were out in the parking lot, obviously being watched when Nick diverted 22 tablets. So the DEA had a local detective in Newton, Kansas, that was tracking them for activity. And when they closed in on those two, it wasn't a big deal like at my house they just walked up to him and said hey we've got you and now you're going to go to prison for 40 years and nick said i'll never go to prison
0: the feds probably maybe they were watching him just for you or maybe watching him for another reason but when they got nick they were probably like holy shit we hit the jackpot so they traced the medication obviously back to you pdmp PDMP. That's when the nightmare begins. Now, you're in Wichita. Does law enforcement have the right to stalk the PDMP whenever they want to, or do they need an order from the judge?
2: They can stalk it at any time they want. They just sit at a desk and troll the PDMP. They used to do legwork out in the streets.
0: Was it just the DEA that was stalking the PDMP, or do you think it was local law enforcement?
2: I think it was the DEA Okay. out of Kansas City.
0: DEA out of Kansas City. They show up at your house. There's 17 of them. I got to tell you, when I, and I have footage of the DEA raiding a doctor and they have these big guns, they're they're drawn uh, and they were targeting an elderly doctor. And my first thought is my goodness, aren't you embarrassed to be a federal agent targeting an old, like a little old man, a doctor, but they have no shame. So I've just answered my own question. Do they take you into custody that day?
2: No, they raided my house. Uh, My wife was at home and was not feeling well. And so she told our, she was able to communicate with our daughter and told her not to come home. My son was already, had his own apartment. So they did not come home, but they proceeded to ransack my house and my two clinics. I didn't know they were at my two clinics, but I was at home. So they ransacked my house for the next, oh, eight hours, Mm -hmm. turned everything upside down clothing, silverware glassware, everything.
0: You're probably in shock. You and your wife, you you must be in shock.
2: Absolutely. I think I probably still, both of us, have PTSD from that moment.
0: Of course you do. What happens after the raid?
2: After the raid, they walk out with 22 bags, what they call evidence, which includes my computer, my phone, hard drive, cash, prescription pad, and I don't hear anything. And then that was in October, and then come January, same cast of characters show up at like 4.30 in the morning on a cold, wintry day and knock on my door at 4.30 and arrest me then.
0: This is all typical for the DEA if you're watching this. This is what the DEA does. They have these surprise raids. Between October and January, were you able to treat patients?
2: I still had my... Oklahoma and Kansas license. All they did was take my DEA. I prescribed Primarin for my wife and I prescribed tetracycline for one other patient. And they tried to throw me in jail for writing non-controlled substances saying the intent was that I couldn't write anything. I said, you said I couldn't use my DEA license and therefore couldn't prescribe any controlled substance.
0: Okay. How many patients were abandoned after the DEA shuts you down? takes your, your DEA registration?
2: 131.
0: Or, to your knowledge, were those patients ever provided continuity of care by the CDC Opioid Rapid Response Program?
2: To my knowledge, no. My attorney could still see the prescription drug monitoring program. So three of my patients that came from the Kansas City area ended up seeing another, a female physician up near Kansas City, who was prescribing them about 150 to 200 percent percent of what i was prescribing them and then she had four deaths
0: oh christ
2: oh, my but she had no assets
0: no
1: oh, of okay course. that's right i'm looking right just just as an aside i'm looking at the kansas pdmp and the amount of money that they have poured into legislative dollars millions over a few year period into this kansas what do they call it the k-trax program into right. the kansas pdmp it's unbelievable and this is this is tax money like people don't have a say in this and and oh, taxpayers sorry. have Go no ahead.
2: idea this is taxation without Million, representation millions
1: yeah. and millions of dollars going to this over the course of a few years. What's the name millions. of the program? What do they use, Bev? K Tracks, K T R A C S, and they also are with bamboo and they do uh they use Narcs care also. Okay. I'm trying to see when they started using it. But the, I have this whole explanation of how their initial money that they put aside for it ran out in 2017 and then Every year they've gotten, I mean, it's actually millions of dollars they've poured into this mm-hmm. program. It's ridiculous. Hey, Legislative dollars. k track.
2: is simply the name of the PDMP in Kansas. Yeah.
0: yeah. yeah. No, you said that your attorney could view the PDMP. Did you just say that?
2: Yes, he could still see that.
0: How could he see the PDMP?
2: With my, you? if I was With there you? and I still had my password. Okay. They okay. shut me down I after I got arrested, but we could okay. still see the PDMP. All right. A few of my patients were able to seek care. Most of the others were castigated in society, and nobody would take them on. Oh, you're a patient of Dr. Henson's. That's right. Uh, we're not going happens. to take care of them. Mm-hmm. Between the time I was, finally went to trial and was sentenced to prison, six of my patients died in the park go. of heroin overdoses. All right, let's is. stop
0: there because I want the there I want the, the viewers, I want to take everybody with us on this journey. Soup to nuts, right? Okay. January, they come to your house and they arrest you on what charge?
2: Conspiracy and unlawful prescribing of controlled substance. Money laundering and obstruction. Okay, so
0: that's like that's like boilerplate for the DEA. Really no, but that's like a word sandwich for most people. What does conspiracy mean in the mind of the DEA or the DOJ?
2: Conspiracy by the letter of the law means two or more working in concert in an illegal act for mutual gain. That's so that it. would
0: be you and your patient, Nick.
2: Well, any of my patients. And and I said my attorney asked, so what is Dr. Henson's participation. Well, he wrote the prescription.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Okay. OK So that makes me part and parcel to a conspiracy if somebody else diverts, when they have to go to a third-party pharmacy and get their own pills and go to their right. home and take them as prescribed. And the mutual gain is, I'm getting100 dollars a month for my patient. They are selling half of their prescription, allegedly, what I found out in trial, for five or six, thousand dollars. So no. I get the hundred dollars, which is mutual gain. I wrote the prescription, so I'm tied into it, and that's mm-hmm. the conspiracy. Okay. Um, how did Nick die? Nick was taking eight 10-milligram methadone tablets a day. When he was put in a trick box by the DEA and told that he was going to prison for 40 years, he said, I'm not going to prison. They did not take his medication, his gun, his person, or his car. He and his associate, Keith Atterbury, decided at that moment got in their vehicle and drove to Wichita, which is about 15 miles, started taking their drugs, drove to the airport, picked up somebody at the airport, came back and continued to take exorbitant amount of their opioid prescriptions in a suicide pact. Nick wrote a suicide note to his common-law wife and drank a half a gallon of vodka with it to wash this down at 3 in the morning. This was, happened in the afternoon, so tw- about 12 hours transpired of them taking drugs and alcohol he drove to Wichita with his associate, picked up a bottle of methadone at somebody else's house, not at a pharmacy. So this was not even my prescription.
0: Right. right. They get
2: home and they're drinking and drugging. Finally, his associate says, I can't go home. I'm too wasted. So he said, well, sleep on the couch. So Nick gets up to go to the bathroom at three o'clock in the morning, his wife says, and comes back and goes to sleep, she can't wake him up at 3.30. She hollers out to Keith, says, I can't arouse Nick, I don't know if he's still with us. And Keith says, call 911, and she said, are you crazy? I've got a house full of drugs here. Yours, mine, and somebody else's, I've got a house full of cash and I've got a prescription pad stolen from Dr. Henson. She said, I'm not about to have law enforcement show up here. So so Keith called, Mm -hmm. and then he was transported to the hospital, unresponsive, stayed at one rural hospital for about 24 hours, subsequently transferred to a tertiary hospital determined to be brain dead. Autopsy showed that he died of a multi-drug overdose.
0: Okay. Well, it sounds like he was intent on, on, on killing himself. And I feel like it, it took him a long time. I mean, that's like a whole lot of drinking and
2: (laughs) it took him 12 hours, but he took 92 methadone tablets and a half gallon of vodka
0: Okay. All it's right. All like right. So
2: Xanax. Right.
1: But he uh, wasn't, he wasn't suicidal that you know of before no. the DEA right. threatened right. to throw him in prison. So basically he was never, the I DEA murdered my, him.
2: Yeah. I always right. asked my patients if they were thinking of harming themselves. And I always made sure that they took their medications as prescribed and did not, and their medications were for them, not for anybody else. So you cannot give trade, sell your medications to anybody understood and they said yes
0: all right so the first charge is conspiracy to distribute prescription drugs outside the course of medical practice but you had a diagnosis right
2: that's correct Mm -hmm.
0: did you have imaging to support this diagnosis on
2: on many patients I did okay
0: all right so we know that there that's not true this was within your scope as a doctor let's go to the second charge Unlawfully distributing oxycodone counts three through 14. Tell me about this fabricated charge.
2: I don't even know where that came from. Did I prescribe oxycodone? Absolutely. To patients? Absolutely. In a professional situation in my clinic? Absolutely. Then they were given instructions. I wrote my DEA on it. I wrote their name, their birth date, everything. I kept a copy. They would have to go to a pharmacy of their choice fill their prescription and take as instructed. Okay. Now, I would prescribe, since I have to see them once a month, you know, if a patient's taking four tablets a day, they get 120 for the month. If they're taking eight tablets a day, they get 240. It's just pretty simple math.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's the second count. We don't really know where that... Because when, when I see 22 counts, I picture the conference room filled with two cops. <laughs> Two cops, one prosecutor, one paralegal, and they all have pens in their mouth and like, "Hmm. Ah, huh? I know we can we can get on that now, right? Right? But nobody gives a shit in the country. So now the third count, unlawfully distributing oxycodone, methadone, and alprazolam. That's what Nick had in his system.
2: Nick had alcohol, methadone, and Xanax. Alprazolam. Okay.
0: Alprazolam. All right. So they just wanted to pepper it with unlawfully distributing oxycodone, methadone, and alprazolam. We still don't know where the oxycodone uh, count or charge is coming from. And then unlawfully distributing methadone and alprazolam, the use of which resulted in the death of a victim on July 24th, identified in court records. So you folks, you see how this works? Do you see how this works? This is the name of the game, and the prosecutors can say whatever they want to say, and then they come up with this uh, sensational headline. Tell me about the obstruction of justice, Count. Is that because you wrote the script for the antibiotic and you were obstructing the
2: law? No. They took my computer and my phone when they raided my house. They did not take my wife's phone. They were there for 10 hours. I used my wife's phone and called one of my business associates in Dallas, where one of my companies was. He contacted my attorney in Clearwater, Florida, who then called me back on my wife's phone.
0: Did you not have a right to call your attorney throughout this ordeal?
2: I asked if I could, and they said, sure you can. But I had no phone. I said, can I have my phone? They said no. So I got my wife. I was not under arrest. So my attorney called me on my wife's phone, in the presence of the DEA agents. There were were 18 or 20 people in my home, male and female, in black ninja outfits, one of whom told me he was a DEA agent and showed me a badge. The assumption could be made that they were all in a team, but when I'm talking to my attorney, I have it on speakerphone right in front of the DEA agent, and he's telling me, he said, Steve, just ask them, he said, if you don't know who these people are ask for every name and every badge number. So I asked him who was standing right beside me and he hears the whole conversation. And I said, I need to know the names and badge numbers of everybody in my home right now. And he said, "That's obstruction and that's obstruction. No, he said, fuck you. You can get that. You can get that Monday from the courts. Well, they, the one guy who introduced himself and breached my door was showed me a Badge. He was DEA.
0: Do you remember his name?
2: Yes. You want it? Yeah. Of Mike course, Hol- I want it. Mike Holder. H-O-L-D-E-R. And he's at the, one of the the
0: field offices in Wichita. Kansas City. Kansas City. Mike Holder. H-O-L-D-E-R. Okay. All right. I want. Let's talk about. We're gonna. Let's go to the money laundering once again. Sensational what? headline.
2: Well, I got to close this loop on the obstruction. Okay. Of course. When when he told me, fuck you, my attorney said, was he talking to you, Steve, or was he talking to me? So I called 911, and and police then show up in my gated community. Now, they're all talking by radio. Sure. They made this big deal and charged me with attempted obstruction
1: of Mm -hmm. justice
2: because I could have caused a blue-on-blue tragedy if they came in with guns blazing. Well, hell, they were on radios talking to each other
0: sure okay oh so God. that's the obstruction of that's justice. the obstruction the money And they laundering. don't like that all no. right the money laundering
2: let's talk the, about that the money laundering i took cash from my patients so as not to keep them from having being able to see me with all their right,
0: i gotta wait stop right there is it did they did missouri make it a law that it's illegal for a doctor to accept cash from a patient no okay it's so legal. if you're a plastic surgeon and you want to have a breast augmentation, you can walk into the doctor's office the day, whatever. You can hand the doctor $22,000 cash, and the plastic surgeon will not go to prison. That's correct. So it's not illegal to accept cash. It's not illegal to not accept insurance.
2: That's correct. Now, if, if my patients asked to file their insurance, I would give them the necessary paperwork, and they could file it on their own. But I did not want to impede any of my patients from being able to be seen through a gatekeeper or a a referral.
0: Okay. So, because, I mean, I wouldn't know how to file a claim, right? right? But did they pay you a membership fee? Were you like a concierge doctor? I was not a
2: concierge. Okay. I functioned like a concierge. Mm-hmm. But they paid okay. me $100, started out as $50, then I went to $100, then another pain doctor in town said you know my monthly charge to my patients is $600 yeah my patients are wanting to come see you and i said i can't i'm not taking on any new patients cuz i've only work one day a week i said i can't even go to 500 cuz my patients wouldn't be able to tolerate that i said i'll go up to 300 so the last 3 months i was at like $300 and i would accept cash and then i would walk across the street once a week and deposit into the bank that was across the street, cash. So I have the receipts. Mm -hmm. They charge me with money laundering because once a month, I would then write a check out of that same account to pay for the lease on my offices. And they said that's fruit of the poisonous tree, therefore it's money laundering. Oh my gosh. All
0: right. Do you think oh your? Oh my gosh. Do you Were there any jealous colleagues? Do you think had anything to do with this investigation?
2: I would not have said so at the beginning, but subsequent when I went to trial and their expert was a interventional anesthesiologist, really not a peer of mine. Hmm. There who is who was a, it?
1: Who was your expert? The expert.
2: I don't recall that name.
1: Okay, we can find it. Yeah, all From right. From Kansas,
2: Kansas City, and I'm like. Well, okay. you know, you do pain shots for twenty five hundred dollars that may or may not work, and you won't cover somebody with opioids in the meantime. And then you see him back in a month, and we'll give him another shot if it's still not working. And I said, "Yeah,
0: but that he's a rat. That's a right. government paid rat. That, you had a government government rat tested, right? Those are the rats that testify against the doctors. Right. And at the yep. doctor patient forum, I made. You know, I remember when I said to Bev." And there, yep. I think it was like nine o'clock at night. Texting, yeah. I was like, you know what? Fuck these motherfuckers. Yeah. I want to check. I want to call a category government paid yeah. rat. Well, yep. they are. I, I
2: want
0: exactly every rat. We want. We want to expose every rat because they sold out their colleagues because they don't mm-hmm. have a moral compass. They only. They just care about money. That's I can't right. wrap my head around. I. I don't like the rats and Mike Holder. I don't like you either. I don't like you either. So now we have all of these counts against you. Your attorney is Bo Brindley at the time?
2: My attorney initially was Kurt Kearns. Kurt okay. is from local Wichita, six five, 280, former football player and a trainee of the Jerry Spence School of Defense, a real bulldog, and was 16-0 and 0 against this prosecutor. And we were supposed to go to trial on Monday. And on the, fri- the Wednesday preceding that, all of a sudden, they conflict my attorney, Kurt out because he had taken care of two of my patients previously, and Kurt said, "Wait a minute, I ran conflicts out to ten years. None of that."
0: I don't know what. All right, let's stop right there. So, leading up to when you were arrested, had you been to court at all? No. Okay, so they show up four thirty in the morning. They arrest you. They take you to jail. Jail. Do you have to stay in jail, or do they release you until the time of your trial?
2: I stayed in jail for about 36 hours and then I bonded out
0: and bonded out means you have to give money to the state to $25,000
2: and then I was free but I did not have I couldn't practice medicine
0: okay so now you're back at home traumatized you have to hire an attorney you hire Kurt prosecutors don't like Kurt because he's probably going to win that's correct And what's that legal term that you just used?
2: They conflicted him out for conflict of interest. He has to run, any attorney is supposed to run conflicts 10 years out. They came up in the ninth inning of this game and said, well, Kurt had seen two of my patients, one 15 years prior on a gun charge and one 12 years prior on a cocaine charge. And Kurt said, well this won't even come up. They're not on the witness list and nothing will come up. They said, well, if you cross-examine them, you could impeach their credibility by saying, why would you believe this guy? He was convicted of a gun charge. He was convicted of a cocaine charge. And Kurt said, I can't even bring that up on cross-examination unless you've brought it up on direct. And he said, I don't think you're stupid enough to do that.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: And Mm -hmm. the judge said, in the wisdom of Solomon, cut the baby in half. So he said, if you can get A waiver of conflict from these two patients and Dr. Henson will proceed on Monday with the court, with the trial. I no longer have my PDMP or my patient records, so I don't have the numbers of these two patients. Kirk says to the prosecution, you must have their numbers because you brought their names up. He said, if you'll give me their numbers, I'll call them today. And she said, not a chance. We play for the opposite team. And the judge did not compel her to give up the numbers. Who's the judge? Thomas Martin, M-A-R-T-I-N.
0: So we have Thomas Martin as the judge, Steve
2: McAllister as the prosecutor. Steve McAllister was the U.S. attorney in Kansas. U.S. Uh,
0: attorney. So he works for the, the federal government.
2: At the state level. He was not yeah. the prosecutor. At the state level. Mona yeah. First. Mona, Mona First. F-U-R-S-T was the prosecutor.
0: Okay. Okay. I'm writing this all down. All right. You Kurt- decide to hire who? Bro Brinley at that time?
2: Well, Kurt got conflicted out, so he referred me to two women, a small boutique office, but had two women who were wonderful. They spoke to me as a Christian family man, but after I had been talking to them, they came to me, the lead, and said, you know, Steve, we're going to plea you out oh, because God. in this environment, we have this opioid crisis going on right now. Right. And we're going to mm-hmm. plea you out and hopefully we can get you. We know the judge. We're going to try to get you two years in a camp.
0: All right. So plea, what for the lay people, plea you out means?
2: I would have to confess that what I did was wrong. And I said, so you're asking me to confess to something I did not do in order to lighten my sentence. And she said, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I yeah. said, "Okay." why would I do that? And she said, because it'll lessen your sentence because otherwise, they're going to try to put this death on you, even though it was a definitive suicide. And that carries a minimum mandatory of 20 years.
1: Oh, my gosh. So
2: she said, we will only take you to a plea. We're not going to go to trial on this. And I said, then you're not my attorneys if you can't take okay. me to trial. So that's when okay. I got Bo Brindley through Doctors of Courage. He was the only attorney listed on their website at that point, And I had talked to several members of the Doctors of Courage.
0: Linda Cheek, that's Linda Cheek's
2: organization. That's Linda Cheek's organization. That's mm-hmm. correct.
0: Okay. So you decide you're not going to plea, that- right? You want you want a fair trial, which is ridiculous. I wanted we a fair know. trial
2: mm-hmm. of my peers, mm-hmm. a jury of my peers.
0: <laughs> a jury of your peers. <laughs> that's non-existent these days.
2: Non-existent.
0: And you're doing this at the height of the opioid hysteria movement, right? So for 10 years, these people, jurors are hearing opioid prescribing is uh, the cause of the opioid epidemic. Doctors are bad. Oxycodone is bad. Vilify all opioids. And you find, you find Beau Brinley and you prepare your case. Let's talk about your assets leading up to when you actually go to trial. Were your assets still yours, or did they freeze your assets?
2: They took my assets. They seized them before I ever went to trial. As soon as they closed down my clinics, they had already seized all my electronic assets before I ever knew about it.
0: And when you say electronic assets,
2: what does that mean? 401k, uh, retirement accounts, stock. Okay. Okay. Uh, how, stock value in the
1: what Wait, how did they, they seize that before you even knew
0: right That's and, and this is what they do with all of these doctors so these how? doctors can't they can't protect them they can't defend themselves because now they don't have the resources oh my so god! do they like send letters to the banks or these institutions and say well we're taking steve henson's assets i don't even know how that process works well,
1: how does it yeah
2: here's how that works i was flying home from dallas From my broker in Utah, he said, "Steve, uh, where are you?" And I said, "I'm in the Dallas-Fort Worth airport." He said, "I just got a fax from the government to liquidate all my shares," and I said, "So I can't withdraw them or anything?" He said, "No, they're frozen at this point, but I I have a week to liquidate them. So he was going to have to force sell all my stock in my companies. Then I get home and I can check my bank account. Coming home in the cab and my bank accounts are wiped clean. So they've done all this as a preemptive strike. They
0: sent? So the United States, the Department of Justice, can
2: take all of your money? That's what the electronics are. They, didn't, they couldn't take my cash until they came to my house when they did.
1: Okay. So they just took your money. I mean, they go after the doctors with assets. That's who they go after because they... To take their money and then you can't defend yourself. And then
2: they even if you're, you. yeah.
1: and then they never give it back. Even if you're found not guilty, they don't give that money back. Do they?
2: If you're found not wait, guilty. Wait,
1: wait, i can ask you this question.
0: How much did Bo, how much did this legal, your legal defense cost you?
2: Seven figures.
0: Okay. Oh my gosh. And you hire Bo Brindley. You go to trial. How long is your trial?
2: Three and a half weeks. Oh, wow.
0: How many experts did you have speaking against you? Was it just that one?
2: They had two experts, but only one really spoke against me. The other was a medical examiner who, who just really detailed the autopsy.
0: Okay. And who was, and the prosecutor, the name again was Mona?
2: Mona first, F U R S T. And,
0: and does Mona work for the Department of Justice, the federal prosecutors? Assistant
2: U.S. Attorney, federal government.
0: Why was this prosecuted on a federal level?
2: 21 U.S.C. Controlled Substance Act is a federal. Okay.
0: Okay. That makes sense. That was a stupid question. And I've been known to have some of those, Steve. We all do. And three and a half weeks, how many
2: jurors? There were 12 and two alternates for the entire time.
0: Okay. And did you testify?
2: I did. You know, the order of function is opening statements, then the defense goes first. Defense put on like 20 witnesses, including some of my patients that they had hired. I was only allowed to have five witnesses. So I had my wife, my pastor, and three patients. They wouldn't let me have any more than five. And they had like 20, 25.
0: Let's talk about their 25 witnesses. If you can remember, you mentioned some of your patients. Did they pay those patients to speak out against
1: you?
2: They paid them either in cash or they paid them by saying, we will not prosecute you. So they were, they received a benefit.
1: Yeah, Yeah. they were coerced
0: into doing
2: this.
0: Do you know how much they were paid? And did the jury know that they received money?
2: I don't think the jury knew that. My attorney would not bring that up. One of my patients, who also was a car guy, he worked on my cars, they came to his office, the DEA did, and tried to get him to approach me after I had lost my DEA license to write him one more prescription of methadone. He said he, does, he doesn't have a DEA, he can't write it. And they opened a briefcase with $100,000 cash in it and said, would you still just ask him? I know that they paid one of my patients her rent for six months.
1: Oh, my gosh. Uh
2: One of the DEA agents <laughs> was sleeping with one of my patients.
1: Re- Wait, really? what? Wait, did you just say the DEA was sleeping with one of your patients?
2: Yeah, that's how he got close to her, is started oh, yeah. sleeping with her. He was married, she was married, but they
1: oh, nice. hooked oh, up. Nice. So that like, I feel like this can't be real, but this and, is and real. You know, what?
0: you know what, Steve? I was involved with a federal agent and I believe everything you're saying. And I was assigned to the federal grand jury and I have Crohn's disease. One day I had a full-blown Crohn's attack in the courtroom. Because I said, oh my God, this is so dishonest what's happening in here. And people have no idea. So I believe you. I believe everything you're saying. I wanna ask you one more thing. So we know what the prosecutors do. They're looking for people to testify you. They're interviewing these, these patients. And I'd love to talk with some of those patients. I, I just want people, I want to expose the government for how they get these wins. Because they're not losing. No. They want you. You said over 20 witnesses. How many were patients?
2: Uh, probably 15.
0: 15. So 15 of your patients. Same with, the, same with all the other doctors. It's not uncommon for patients to testify against the
2: doctors. And what they did... And how they built their whole case for over prescribing and prescribing without medical need is they would say, So, you're a patient of Dr. Henson's, and you go in and he addresses your pain and and asks you if the four pills a day of your medication are allowing you to function the way you want to. And if you say no, I said, Well, we can go to six or we can go to eight and then back off and adjust on the fly. And these same patients, six of whom were ended up being co-defendants because they were caught diverting medications as well. What they testified to is if if Dr. Henson was prescribing me eight tablets a day, hence 240 in a month, I would take four of those tablets. This is the patient, and I would sell four of those tablets, or I would sell 120 of those. And they said, So you really didn't need 240.
1: Mm-hmm. And they
2: would say, Yes, I didn't need so doctor Henson was over prescribing then for you. And they would say, Yes. It was a coached position to say I was over prescribing. And I said, When I'm just asking my patients if the four is handling them. So they built this whole deal. They put up a poster on the wall and referenced me when they talked to the jury and said, Now, you probably have never ever seen Abject drug dealers, unless you've ever seen the hit series The Wire, where somebody's walking around with a pistol in their waistband and bags of drugs in their pocket, and they flash up my picture in my white coat as a doctor professional. They said, This is the modern day drug dealer. See that Mont Blanc pen he has? Ugh. That's his Gosh. pistol. See yeah. that prescription pad? That's his bags of drugs. This mm. is the modern That's day the drug hair- dealer. No, that's what they do, and the jury now, just went, "Oh my god!"
0: Of course, I was like, "I guess." Uh, so, um, how many patients of yours were diverting their drugs?
2: I had only been told six at the trial, but subsequent, I, I suspect there were additional. I don't know I,
0: that. I, I, I got to tell you, I'm not on board with people who divert their drugs, and I'm that not is either. More, Bev is
1: more compassionate no, not, than I I'm am. I'm not on board with it, but my per, my point is, you are never going to eliminate diversion 100. percent There's no way to do it. I don't. I'm not for it. I don't think people should do it. But if if your goal is to eliminate diversion, the only way to eliminate it 100 percent is to never prescribe. That's all. That's the only way to do it because there's no other way. Yeah. The only
2: way is to never prescribe. The most efficient way is to make. Everything legal, and there would be no.
1: Exactly right. There would there be is. no
2: profit model in that.
1: Exactly. You, and when, it's not just decriminalization, it's legalization. It has mm-hmm. to be legalization.
2: Right now, you're in uh, Rhode Island, hmm. Claudia? Where are mm-hmm. you, Bev? North Carolina. Okay. Well, they just talked yesterday, what they disclosed is in the Ivy League that every student there now, they're going through some issues with this whole. Yes. you know, Yes. protest. Yep. But every student yep. in their backpack has Adderall, Xanax, oxycodone, and weed. So that's how they get through a day. So believe you me, there's somebody that's sitting next to you in class and they're saying, here, take this. Yeah. Diversion will always occur unless you eliminate right. it.
0: Right. Unless you eliminate it or... I, you know, I think I struggle with that because I think what a shitty thing to do right. to your doctor. You know, my I've got it's a terrible. friend who is a high I prescriber know it's terrible. and she, ha- she doesn't even let them go in the bathroom with their purse. She has to be on high alert because the government has created this situation. Yeah, Everybody's yeah. on high alert. And if yeah. you're watching this, this is why you folks can't get your medication uh doc the the dea will no longer allow doctors to practice but, medicine and th-
1: claudia the thing is because they cannot eliminate diversion because there is absolutely you could go into the bathroom with the patient while they give a urine spe- mm-hmm. urine specimen you could have your your patient take pictures of the pills before you could do all of this and you still will not be able to eliminate diversion completely so to make that the doctor's responsibility right away there's no way to make it work
0: but, th- th- why it's are not- they, but why are people diverting? Is it just for
1: the money aspect of they, it? They consider everything divert. I mean, sometimes they just give it to a friend who is in pain and can't get their medication. Sometimes it is for them to pay their bills. Sometimes it is for them to buy illicit drugs with. I mean, there's all different reasons why patients divert medication. Okay. Yeah, I just think it's a
0: shitty thing to do. But we're not going to stop it. I And I understand
1: it. You'll so never stop it 100%.
2: People were selling five- their pills. And I said, how is that different? than a pharmacy selling their pills. They also did not like when I testified, I said, I'm a Christian man. And I said I had a paradigm shift in medical school when we took pharmacology, where you learn how drugs work, volume of distribution, half-lives and such. And I found out that in every organ system in our bodies, there are receptors, mu receptor, GABA receptor, nicotinamide receptor, and, endocannabinoid receptors well what fits into those opiates benzos marijuana Mm -hmm. and if you are born or created with those receptors and those plants grow on this earth you don't have an issue with me or doctors you have a issue with the creator and that's something you need to get straight and they did not like that at all
0: yeah Yeah, i i get that and i I do
1: say i mean and claudia here's the thing i i I would never promote diversion. I don't think it's a good thing at all. I think Mm -hmm. it's a terrible thing to do to the doctor. Other patients suffer because of it, but in 2023, when you stop a doctor from prescribing, let's assume ten percent of their patients are diverting their medication. Whoever was these people were selling their pills to will probably now also die because they're not going to have a safe supply to buy from. So you're not only hurting the patients; you're hurting the people who you're supposedly trying to save. And so mm-hmm. none of it makes any sense. Like, well, yeah. who are you helping other than who was the DEA and this government helping other than putting money in their own pockets?
2: They're only helping yeah. themselves. That's right.
1: Yeah.
0: Okay, yeah. so let's go back to the trial. Okay, three and a half weeks. The verdict comes back
2: guilty on guilty on uh, conspiracy and mm-hmm. the death.
0: Okay, do you go to prison that day?
2: No, no, no. That was in October, and then I mm-hmm. wasn't uh, sentenced until March the next year.
0: Do they always wait before they sentence? Yes. Okay, so now you have to live with this from October through the until holidays. March through the holidays, you're sick to everybody. That That's it. They've destroyed your family. They've destroyed your livelihood. You get sentenced in March. Tell me about your life. They freeze your assets. So how are you surviving between? Per-
2: personal loans.
0: Okay. Personal. Lo- does your wife work?
2: Now she does. Okay.
0: How old were your kids at the time you were sentenced?
2: Uh, when I was sentenced, they were in their late twenties. They're now 32 and 31. All right.
0: March comes, you're sentenced.
2: And did Bo, did Bo prepare you? Bo told me on the phone that he had already struck a deal with the prosecution and they were going to give me 20 years. And he said, I'll see you in a few minutes. I go to the sentencing hearing. He's not there. The judge allows a statement of allocution. And I said, I've always operated under the hippocratic oath i did no harm to patients i listened to patients and i took good care of them my entire career he allowed the widow to get up there and she said judge i have a life sentence my husband is dead this oh man God. killed him i hope you give mm-hmm. him a life gosh. sentence and so oh my gosh. the judge calls mm-hmm. me the judge calls me from the bench you are the epitome of evil and sentences me to life imprisonment and they and then they take me in shackles and I never see my wife again.
0: Did that judge have a a child who struggled with addiction?
2: Yes, a heroin addiction. And you
1: said the judge's name was Thomas
2: Martin. Martin. M-A-R-T-I-N. Thomas Martin.
0: You're
1: taking but How away... come he didn't recuse How come he didn't recuse himself? Like the, he shouldn't he should not have stayed in that case.
2: He should not have
1: yeah. I mean, it's just like Judge Polster with all the other cases. He had a son or, or personal friend or somebody very close to him with addiction issues. None of these people should be allowed. They're, they, they're, they're, you only, oh, it makes me so right mad. Right now,
2: in these trials, you only get to ask jurors.
0: And, and those Judge questions. Martin, Judge Martin, sir, he's a federal judge
2: appointed by Bill Clinton. Okay.
0: okay. All right. What district was
2: this? 10th district.
0: 10th District. You go to prison. Where where do they send you?
2: They sent me straight to they, they put me right in the Cedric County jail. Then they took me the next day to El Dorado, which is a federal holding facility. They just hold federal prisoners. I was there for about three weeks and they took me up to a CCA, which is a private prison in Leavenworth, Kansas. And all of a sudden, the first day I, I was there for about oh five weeks. The first day I am able to get commissary. So I could buy Pop-Tarts or deodorant, and I'm in Oklahoma City for about two weeks at the transfer center, and then they tell me to pack my stuff, and they come get me at 4:30 in the morning, and I'm. They said you're going to um, McCreary, USP, and you have zero points. And somebody behind me said, "You're gonna, you're gonna love Pennsylvania." And I'm a pilot, and I get in this big jet, and we fly straight to Lexington, Kentucky, and I'm like. Wait a minute, Bluegrass International, Lexington, Kentucky, we're not even close to Pennsylvania. So we end up then taking a bus down, and I arrive at McCreary USP, the maximum security prison, at about 9 o'clock at night.
0: Are, do they, so they were flying you to these different places? Yes. Are you flying like on Spirit Airline? What, what oh, airline no, no, no. is this? You're
2: flying on Con <laughs> Air, DC-9s that they, they, they have like four of them in their fleet, and they fly— are,
0: are, are those just for prisoners, those yes. planes?
2: Yes, absolutely. They're owned by the DEA.
0: So oh I'm, pay- I'm paying for this. I'm paying yeah, marshals, for these
2: flights. The, the U.S. Marshals and the DEA. So every flight that I would go on with a number of, of inmates, female and male, there would probably be 50 to 70 armed marshals on there with, with pump shotguns.
0: Oh, my God. So you may, now you're at this prison in Pennsylvania, 9 o'clock at night.
2: No, in Kentucky. In Kentucky. McCreary, yeah. Right on the border of okay. Kentucky and Tennessee.
0: Mm-hmm. What's the name of that prison?
2: McCreary, M-C, capital C- C-R-E-A-R-Y. US- you said it's a
0: private prison?
2: No, CCA was a private prison that I was held at. McCreary is a FBOP, maximum security prison, in McCreary, fine, not Kentucky.
0: How long are you there for? 54 months.
2: 54 months.
0: Four and a half Tell years. Tell me about- what happened oh to you? Gosh. What happened to you during that almost 5 year t- period?
2: Well, I started teaching mathematics in a GED class because a lot of these people don't have any education and I had lots of education and I was playing competitive basketball and soccer and then I dislocated a finger playing basketball and I got a detached retina, my eye. So I was transported to Lexington to the federal medical center. I had three surgeries, two on my eye and one on my finger. That was the first day of COVID.
0: Mar- they gave you surgery? I'm surprised that yeah. they allowed wow. you to have well, surgery. Well, had
2: to, but this okay. was March 20 of 21. I was transported mm-hmm. up to Lexington, Kentucky to the federal medical center. And that was the first day of the COVID lockdown. So we were locked in a upstairs dormitory that had about 28 inmates and we could not leave there. And these
0: are maximum.
2: Ma- these are at the federal medical center. There's all kinds at the, at the, at McCreary, they were all maximum. So I was taken to a cell. you get locked in a cell every eight hours with your celly. You have a, se- so you have a roommate. Right. Who was your roommate? My roommate was a tall Russian guy. Six. What did he do? He had uh, burned his Allegedly, he had burned his house down to collect insurance.
0: Okay. Was he
2: violent? Not to me. Did you feel
0: like you were in harm's way in that prison? Every day. Every day. You were afraid every day. And I would imagine your faith got you through this time.
2: Yes. And I did not. My faith got me through. And also, I am not terribly confrontational. They originally asked me because they could see me playing basketball and lifting weights, and I was late 50s, and they said, well, we're going to put you on the list to put in work, which means you're going to have to take somebody out if your name comes up. And then Mm -hmm. another Russian guy that I knew who was an engineer and a pilot said, wait a second, you guys are missing the forest for the trees here. Doc is very smart in multiple different areas, so he can teach all of us he can write motions, he can do all this. So he's not gonna have to put any physical work in. We'll use his brain. And consequently, I was well-liked by blacks, whites, Indians, Asians, Mexicans.
1: Okay,
0: you're there almost five years. How do you get released from prison?
2: I had a major heart attack and ended up getting two stints in my L.A.D. And so- They said I had had ventricular tachycardia, so they put an electronic external defibrillator on me, which is like wearing an AED. And when I had that, they would not let me go back out onto the compound. So they put me in a medical holding cell, which was like the shoe, segregated housing. Mm-hmm. And I was back there for three and a half months. What were you doing? When I had the heart attack? How did... Yeah. Well, I had been up at Lexington for 18 months during that COVID crisis. So they weren't moving any patients. So I was walking to work, which is about 100 yards across a parking lot. And I had 14 syncopal episodes over about, oh, three months. I would just be walking along and I'd feel my heart race and then I'd pass out. And that's not what you want to do when you're walking in a line of prisoners.
1: Because if you grab onto the guy
2: next to you, you might get clocked. So I would... Sure. Then I had chest pain. And finally, they neglect me at Lexington. They took me to the hospital. They did Three EKGs. They had a run of VTAC for 20 seconds. They did two troponins and said, "Well, you're okay." And they sent me back to prison. So then they transferred me back to McCreary, and I had to be quarantined for three weeks there in a cell because they were doing COVID still quarantining.
0: Did Did you have to get vaccinated?
2: Yes, forced vaccinations.
0: Did you have that heart attack because of the vaccine? That's I'm just well. I would
2: tell you that. When COVID hit, we had bologna sandwiches for breakfast, lunch, and supper for six straight months. Mm-hmm. And then you okay. throw COVID into that. Sure, so sure. So it's one or the other or both. I mean, it could be right, true, true, right. and otherwise related or unrelated. I had been and, healthy.
0: Right. You had been healthy. So you have this heart attack. Right. You're sick for three months.
2: Well, I wasn't really they, sick. I was just had a defibrillator because the heart is a muscle with blood flow. Who put
0: that defibrillator in?
2: Well, they did the two stents in my LAD. Then they hooked up an external defibrillator that I was wearing pads on. Who did that? Dr. Uh, Ellison in Lexington. Very good.
0: Does she work for the federal government or was this done at a regular hospital? But they have
2: to outsource their private if they can't take care of them internally.
0: So you're a doctor getting operated on by another doctor. And what happens next?
2: So after three and a half months in medical holding with the external defibrillator on, they inexplicably tell me I don't need a defibrillator anymore. Now they fixed the, the blood flow and the, to get blood flow to my heart muscle, but they never addressed the VTAC. And that's what you're trying to prevent a sudden cardiac death. So they told me I didn't have to wear the defibrillator anymore, sent me back to general population. Once I got to general population, I could see my emails And people were saying, hey, the Supreme Court vacated your case. So that was, I was in my cell, locked Wait For
0: for the lay people, for the lay people, what does that mean? The Supreme Court vacated your case.
2: What does that mean? That means that they said, nine to zero, that a doctor could not predict who was going to divert their medications. We don't have a crystal ball or a magic wand.
0: Is that because of the SCOTUS, uh, the RUAN ruling?
2: That is. Wow. So, okay. All right. And so I had been in my cell then reading a book. We were on lockdown because somebody had gotten stabbed and I'm just reading a book and all of a sudden three goons, SIS, which is like the FBI of the prison system, come and knock on my door. It's locked. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting in a chair reading and they said, "Come with us, Henson," and open my cell. And I said, "Where are we going?" And they said, "Well, we're either going back to the hospital." I'd been 36 trips to the hospital before. Or you're going to the bread and breakfast inn, And I'm like, bed and breakfast inn. Well, that's the shoe. <coughs> that's their little funny terminology for segregated housing, where you have no phone, mm-hmm. no email. Oh, uh, okay. So they move me back. Don't tell me where I'm going, but they didn't cuff me up. So they just walked me down there. So I'm, I'm still confused. But they end up putting me in a cell, then in segregated housing with a white Aryan brother, mm-hmm who is a gang. Oh my God. <laughs> so Jesus I go from Christ. the pot to the kettle. <laughs> now he was all right guy and I could help him write letters and stuff. So he was okay with me. Although he had unstable bipolar and schizophrenia. So he, he, he had, I didn't want to,
1: Oh my gosh.
2: I, I was always making sure he took his Seroquel every day because I, thought, I would
1: imagine you would. I yes, do not uh, want
2: you going off important. on me. So right. I'm and we're not tube. making
0: we're not making light of this, but if you don't make I mean i I don't know how you're still here dr Henson
2: that's how, I, they were trying to kill me
1: That's the end of part one with Dr. Henson. Part two should be out in a few weeks. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you would like to see the full unedited video podcast version of this episode, including before and after the podcast discussion, please head on over to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash the Dr. Patient Forum. Thank you once again for listening to our podcast. If you're enjoying our podcast, please follow us on Spotify, leave us a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts and share with anyone that you think might benefit from this information. Just a quick disclaimer, the information contained in this podcast should not be considered medical or legal advice.